0: Good morning and welcome to Monday Mornings with Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie and I'm Morgan. Yay! (laughs) Hi!
1: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm good, how are you? How has your week been?
1: I'm good, I've been working a lot so it's been a little crazy um I just see now that this comes out on the first day of February so happy birth month to me
0: oh happy birth month to Maddie
1: (laughs) and Carlos and my brother and And my mom we have
0: a lot of February fans
1: (laughs) yes and I think I have, uh, yeah, I know a lot of February birthdays, but happy birth week to my brother, Raymond. I don't know if he'll listen to this one, but HBD, brah.
0: HBD, brah, from your favorite (laughs) podcast
1: hosts. (laughs) Thanks for tweeting about us. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I know I say this every episode, but I'm excited for this week's episode.
1: Yes. Okay, so this week... Is a Maddie-centric episode. Hello, welcome to me. <laughs> and next <laughs> week is a Morgan week, which will be super fun. But this week, I'm going to be talking about the history of birth control and contraceptives. So Ooh. this is going to be completely pregnancy prevention. I'm not really going to talk about the other uses for, um, like, today's birth control, because there's a lot more than just pregnancy co- prevention, as many people know. Um, But also I am essentially mostly talking about birth control uses for women and for people who can get pregnant. But yeah, so I'm really excited. Um, I forget if I mentioned it in the About Us episode, but I used to teach sex ed and I had an internship at UNH where I discussed sexual health and well-being so this is a really fun thing for me <laughs> it's fun for and, me too
0: because I think it's interesting
1: yeah and obviously I like to listen
0: to you talk about it
1: <laughs> yeah of course because I know like way too much information on it but I mean if you have any questions throughout the episode feel free to ask me and you guys as listeners if you have any Specific questions, obviously, you should talk to your doctors about these things. I'm not a doctor, and I can't tell you which birth control is the best for you, but um, if you have any questions on them, I'm happy to give you resources or answer, or if you have general questions that you'd like me to cover in a future episode about health or sex ed or anything along those lines, please feel free to DM us or email us or anything, and we can talk about those. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're not giving you any medical advice.
1: (laughs) Yes, this is not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not claiming to be a doctor. I'm not your gynecologist, but I am allowed to teach sex ed. So that's what I'm (laughs) going to do. Yay. So this week we're talking history of birth control first. So there have been a few little wacky things (laughs) that people have done to prevent pregnancy And to get to those, we really just have to jump in our time machine and see how women throughout history have dealt with their different options for pregnancy prevention. So let me just say that a few of my main resources were, I listened to a Sawbones episode, um, my own just information that I have, like resources I've made for when I was teaching. And of course the Planned Parenthood website. We do love Planned Parenthood. We love them and support them. And yes. They do amazing things. Yes. Since there is not a lot known about reproduction, except that something happened during or after intercourse that caused pregnancy, most of the first Pregnancy prevention ideas were kind of just to, like, (laughs) essentially shove something up inside of their vaginas in hoping that this would just cause a physical barrier or something would work and just prevent that from happening. So the Ebers papyrus, which dates back to 1550 BCE, documents the use of ground-up dates, acacia bark, or leaves and then those were mixed with honey and then put on a bit of cotton seed or wool and then those were inserted. Um, basically they knew that there was an opening which we now know is the cervix that allowed pregnancy so they just used a bunch of concoctions or anything to block up that opening. Some of these different materials that they used did have backing behind it. Like, some of them were like, oh, this would thicken the cervical mucus, blah, 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 but a lot of it was just straight up to block it. Uh, One of the more disgusting things that had been used was crocodile or elephant dung. Ew! Yeah! So, that's absolutely foul. So much bacteria! (laughs) Yeah. Oh! (laughs) Like, you wipe front to back for a reason. (laughs) So... I, like, I don't, I guess just essentially as, like, just blocking, and I guess, like, causing an infection would just completely prevent pregnancy, I guess, because you, it would make it inhabit, inhabitable, so I guess there's one way to do that. It makes you infertile.
0: Yeah, (laughs)
1: so, not great, don't do that. So, lemon juice was also used as a form of spermicide, um, and the rind, rind was actually also used as like really old school form of a diaphragm or cervical cap and casanova who i didn't know was actually a real person um he noted in some of his memoirs using half of a lemon as a cervical cap paired with a male um with a condom made out of either a goat bladder or linen and I'm just going to say this here. Please don't use any of these methods. <laughs> and also, like, I, the linen condom does not work. <laughs> I will cover condoms in a different episode. No,
0: no, there's so many holes in that.
1: Yeah, linen isn't like, it's a perforated material. Like, you can't, it's not going to work that way. So, yeah, (laughs) it's hard to determine exactly when condoms first became actually popular because they were usually made of biodegradable materials, Um, but it's thought that they weren't really thought to be used in pregnancy prevention. Well, they were, but they were mostly used for STI prevention and, like, venereal diseases. Super fun. But there isn't a ton of knowledge about it. Um, And I'm probably going to end up doing a separate episode on condoms altogether, so we're going to move on from that. (laughs) We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. So physical barriers aside, because barrier methods work well, but people started to wonder if there was any medicines that they could take to prevent or even terminate pregnancies. So in ancient Greece, Rome, and Egypt, there was a plant called sylphium, and this plant became the MVP of pregnancy prevention back in the day. And this plant actually I love plants. Yeah, this plant is really awesome, and I am going to talk about a few more plants and herbs. But this plant was used so frequently, humans made it go extinct. Oh my god! Typical. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Typical humans.
1: So it no longer exists, but it is closely related to fennel, I'm pretty sure. But it was discovered that when women took extracts or ate this plant whole, they were actually less likely to become pregnant. So basically, once this was discovered, they harvested it into extinction, which really sucks, but it does show that people have been trying to hook up without getting knocked up since basically forever. Since forever, yeah. Since forever, yes. (laughs) So, sylphium was only able to be grown in a small part of Crete. So, they tried to plant it other places, but it wouldn't grow. And because it was in such high demand, it became extinct around the 2nd or 3rd century BCE. So, because we killed off sylphium people started to look into other plants and herbal options. Queen Anne's lace is thought to be a distant relative of silphium, and it does work to prevent implantation of a fertilized egg if it's used within eight hours. Queen Anne's lace works by blocking progesterone synthesis, but there is a danger of it being confused with a similar-looking deadly head hemlocks um named poison hemlock and water hemlock so stay like just be careful I mean obviously do not use any of these herbs that I'm telling you about right now go see a doctor like I'm not advising any of this
0: (laughs) yeah we have medicine for a reason
1: yes and a lot of these things didn't actually fully work they just were like hoped that they worked a lot of the times. But yes, I'm moving on now. Um, (laughs) Penny Royal is another (laughs) plant that was commonly used. It is actually related to mint plants and smells similar to spearmint. Penny Royal was used by ancient Romans and Greeks in cooking and in flavoring wine. A first century physician documented the use of Penny Royal in tea to induce menstruation and also cause abortion. This one's a bit more dangerous than some of the other plants because if you use too much of this tea, it is highly toxic and can lead to multiple organ failure. So, again, don't try any of these Great. at home. <laughs> no. Jeez. It's 2021. Go see ya Dak, dak. Please. So blue cohosh was also a plant that was used commonly by Native Americans and I guess is still used sometimes today by modern midwives. Uh, Blue cohosh can be used and to induce uterine contractions as well as mimicking the hormone oxytocin, which also causes uh, the uterus to contract So today, midwives use it during the last month of pregnancy to tone the uterus in preparation for labor, which is kind of cool. I feel like that might be useful. (laughs) That's cool, yeah. Uh, Another one is Dong Kwai, or Chinese Angelica, which is a root that has been brewed in a tonic and used to regulate irregular menstrual cycles and alleviate menstrual cramps. If this tonic was taken during early pregnancy, it could cause uterine contractions and may induce abortion. There's also European and American strains of Angelica that have similar properties, but they're not as commonly used. Common rue, which is a flower, is also described by a second century greek gynecologist as causing abortions and was also used in latin america latin american women would eat rue in salads as a contraceptive or in tea as an emergency contraceptive because rue when ingested can decrease blood flow to the endometrium And the endometrium, if you do not know, is the lining of the uterus where an egg would implant. So reduced blood flow to the endometrium brings less nutrients and makes it less hospitable and no longer suitable for an egg to implant.
0: Hostile environment.
1: Yes, a hostile uterus. (laughs) So, what caused for a switch from herbal and mostly barrier methods to birth control that we know in love or hate today? Well, in 1906, Sirius McCormick, the inventor of the mechanical harvester, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Why does this matter? Well, he had a lot of money. And his wife decided that they were going to fund some research into birth control because she wanted to know how to prevent passing along illnesses to her children. So I personally know a few people that don't want to have kids of their own because of different mental health or different health issues that they don't want to pass on. And this was really progressive thinking for 1906. But this research... That they funded would essentially like really help bring the current birth control pills that we have today to life so thank you very much ma'am yes thank you (laughs) ma'am in 1916 margaret sanger sanger opened the first birth control clinic which was then closed 10 days later but she reopened it in 1921 as the American Birth Control League, which you may have never heard of, but you will (laughs) know what it came to be later on, which was Planned Parenthood. Yay! Also around the same time, Marie Stokes opened the UK's first first birth control, control clinic as well. Before birth control, it was mostly known as family limitation. So you would essentially just have a whole bunch of kids, however many you want. And then you or your partner kind of just decide which one of you wants to become sterile. So this is very, like, it's pretty normal. I mean, not pretty normal because most people will use other birth control methods, but it is pretty normal for couples to one of them get their tubes tied or a vasectomy or something along those lines later in life. So they don't have to worry about it as much. Understandable. So this is, yeah. So this is a more drastic method, but it's not as weird as the term voluntary motherhood, <laughs> which basically, yeah, it was basically saying only have sex if you want to have kids The term birth control alone was able to separate sex and procreation which wasn't taken super well by some but it did give the woman the power to control their bodies which is huge because for years and years people were using these weird herbal things and crocodile dung in hopes of taking some back some power over their body back but now when you create birth control that Allows women to have more power. So we love that. Yep, we do. And before I talk about the current world of birth control, I just wanted to talk about how far reproductive health has come in the past 100 years. Into the 1930s, the most popular pregnancy prevention method was the rhythm method, which was not fully understood and not effective. And abstinence, which again is not really like it's the most effective method but it's not the most feasible I guess <laughs> and then the final one I was gonna say pleasurable yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so the final one is sorry this freaking adobe thing just popped up in the middle of my notes great um <laughs> The final one is Lysol douching, which is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I hate it so much. Lysol is not an effective choice by any means, but I get where the idea is coming from. They thought a disinfectant would work, but they were wrong. And also, just douching in general should be avoided if you are the owner of a vagina. They are self-cleaning, and they're also very particular about their pH balances, so leave it alone. If you you feel like something's off or funky, you can always talk to your doctor, and you should, just like with any other... Sounds
0: like a yeast infection waiting to happen.
1: Yeah, it is. So just, like, leave it alone. If anything's, like, weird, go see your doctor. Just go see your doctor in general. Alrighty. So now I'm going to talk about modern contraceptives. Yay! We love those and hate them at the same time.
0: Yay!
1: So. (laughs) It's a love-hate
0: relationship. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) I wish I could just press pause and not have to deal with any of it at all, but, you know. Oh, here we are. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> I'll work on it, yes. <laughs> so when it, the first one I will talk about is the pill because everybody knows it. It's kind of just the most common, I guess. So when it comes to the pill, there are a few different versions consisting of different levels of hormones and different hormones as well. So The pill contains progestin and often estrogen, which prevents ovulation and thickens the cervical mucus, which prevents sperm from meeting the egg or ovum. So this is the same or very similar with all of the methods I'm going to talk about. You're going to hear me say progestin, estrogen, ovulation, and cervical mucus a lot. And you're welcome. Get ready.
0: (laughs) You're welcome.
1: You're welcome. So the pill is about 91% effective with typical use, which accounts for human error. So with perfect effective, with perfect use, it is 99.7% effective. So if you're taking it every day, the same time or within an hour or two of the normal time, you are essentially taking it with perfect use, so you're really close. This is why there's such a difference between 91 and 99.7% effective is just, like, making sure you take it every day and around the same time. Also, the pill, like all other forms of birth control I'm about to talk about, does not protect against STIs or HIV. This is very important when if you... In general, anybody who has any type of sexual intercourse should be using some form of a condom or other barrier method protection to prevent STIs and HIV, but that's a whole nother episode. Um, so it's always important to double up, except for with condoms. You don't want to wear more than one at a time because they'll break. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So there are two main types of birth control pills, the combination pill, which contains both progestin and estrogen, or the mini pill, which only has progestin. The combination pill has a variety of mixtures, so conventionally a pack will have 21 active pills and 7 inactive or sugar pills where you would experience a period. But they can also be taken continuously or as an extended cycle. So they would have 84 active and 7 inactive pills, resulting in 4 periods a year. Or you can just skip the 7 days. But obviously, this is all stuff that like you can talk to your doctor about. Or if they feel that you don't need it. Or if you're iron deficient, then it's there's a whole lot of different circumstances. But there are a lot of people on the extended release pills. So like, I personally skip the sugar pill week for every three or something like that. And it's a nice way to go about it. The combination pills also have varying doses of hormones in the active pills. So monophasic pills have the same amount of estrogen and progestin in each active pill. But multiphasic pills vary week to week for ratios of both hormones. So if you're on the pill and you pull out your pill pack and... You don't know which one you have you can just look at them if they are all the same shape and color then you have monophasic so all of the pills are exactly the same except for the sugar pill week so how does the birth control pill work well the combination pill works by preventing the ovaries from releasing an egg as well as slowing an eggs process from the fallopian tubes And thickening the cervical mucus and thinning of the endometrium, which I mentioned earlier is the uterine lining. And all of these are very effective in keeping sperm away from an egg. And the mini pill also works the same way. It just doesn't have estrogen, so it might not prevent ovulation, but it is pretty common that it does. Next contraceptive method is the IUD. So an IUD or intrauterine device is a tiny flexible piece of plastic that is shaped like a T and is inserted into the uterus through the cervix and is used to prevent pregnancy, obviously. So there are only five IUDs that are currently approved by the FDA and and available in the U.S., (laughs) <laughs> so these five are Paragard, Kylina, Liletta, Marina, and Skyla. There are two types of IUDs. So there's a copper IUD which is the Paragard and the hormonal IUD which the other four fall under. So the copper IUD or Paragard doesn't use any hormones just a little tiny bit of copper wire wrapped around the plastic T and can prevent pregnancy for up to 12 years. Wow. I did not know that, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, fun fact, the copper IUD is the only long-term birth control that can also be used as an emergency contraceptive if inserted within five days of unprotected sex. Huh. Which is pretty awesome because you can just feel like, If you're like, oh, crap, you can just go to if you have an appointment already or if you can get one scheduled fast enough, you can go to your doctor and then you're safe for 12 more years, which is pretty great and really effective. Yeah. Hormonal IUDs use the hormone progestin to thicken the cervical mucus, block sperm, and it may prevent ovulation. The hormonal IUDs work for between three and seven years, depending on the brand. So Skyla works for three years. Kylena for Kyleana for up to five. Both Morena and Liletta work for up to seven years. So IUDs I are one of... I have a question. Yes.
0: About the copper IUD. Yes. So is it a interaction between the copper... And the, like, what, something in the uterus or cervix?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, How does that work? They're not fully sure. Like, literally the Planned Parenthood website, excuse me, says sperm don't like copper. Oh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So there's that, (laughs) and then also just it irritates the uterus enough that it's in habitable for any, like, there's no way fertilization could occur just because it isn't a good environment for it.
0: I'm just picturing, like, a force field around the copper part.
1: <laughs> yeah, and sperm, like,
0: oh no, I hate it here! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Swim away! <laughs>
1: <Why>? <laughs> so, IUDs are one of the most effective forms of pregnancy prevention. With absolutely no way for you to personally mess it up, they are between 99.2 and 99.8% effective, which is really awesome, especially if you choose the copper IUD and then you're 99 point something percent effective for the next 12 years. That's pretty chill. (laughs) Yeah, I might have to switch. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) thought about it a little bit. So, The next contraceptive I'm going to tell you about is the arm implant or Nexplanon, which I don't know if you remember, but when we lived together, Hulu loved to give us the Nexplanon commercials.
0: Yep. (laughs) All the time. It was like they
1: knew. (laughs) I was like, okay, great. We get it. Six girls live here. Thanks. (laughs) Yep. Thanks. (laughs) So the implant is a rod about the size of a matchstick. That can is inserted into the upper arm and it releases hormones to prevent pregnancy for up to five years, which is again really awesome. We love long term birth controls. The implant uses the hormone progestin, which we have talked a little bit about in all of the previous ones um uh, <laughs> So this prevents pregnancy. (laughs) If you've been paying attention. (laughs) If you've been paying attention, it prevents pregnancy by thickening the cervical mucus and preventing ovulation. (laughs) So when the sperm can't get to the egg, or if there is no egg at all, there will be no pregnancy. Yay, science. (laughs) Science. Yes. So like with the IUD, there is no human error once the rod is inserted. So you're protected. For up to five years. With 99.9% effectivity rate. Which again. Yep. Super awesome. So. The next one. Is the birth control ring. Or the Nuva Ring, Which is a small flexible ring. I was just saying. I don't know anything about the Ring. Oh yay. Well I'll tell you a little bit. Yeah. So. It's basically just a small, it looks kind of like a hair r- hair elastic, but it's rubbery.
0: <laughs> I'm picturing like those rubber bracelets that used to be a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of like the that. Circular it's a ones. Thicker. Um I do know a few people who've used them and some people really liked them, some people absolutely hated them. But you insert it yourself up like against your cervix. So if you, anybody who uses a menstrual cup, it's kind of similar to that, I guess, but also not really. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But it's inserted by the user and releases hormones to prevent pregnancy. It is similar to the pill because the ring contains estrogen and progestin, which we know prevent ovulation, thicken the cervical mucus, la di da Um, (laughs) similar how to the pill cycles with inactive and active pills, the ring is inserted for three to five weeks, removed for a week, and a new ring is inserted. And typically with human error, the ring is only 91% effective. But if you use it perfectly and change it out like every three weeks, it can be up to 99.7% effective. That kind of sounds, sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work, and it can be – like, you can leave it in during sex, but apparently it can come out, and if it does, or if you do take it out, you have to rinse it with water first. Um, It just seems like a lot more work than I'd be willing to put in, and, like, that's saying a lot considering I take a birth control pill every day, but <laughs> whatever. Right, <same. laughs> But, I mean – I think that's a less common one, but there are people who really love that one. And you can also do the extended cycling the same way that you can with a pill. So you would just get a new ring from the pharmacy and just skip the period week and just keep going with it. Hmm. And they said that if you do spot or get your period while you have the ring in, because you take it out for a week to have your period... But if you do get it while you still have the ring in, you can use tampons and menstrual cups. But it may cause issues. So, not super sure about that one, but...
0: Not to be biased,
1: but... Um, not to
0: be biased, but it's not yeah, my first think that choice. for me.
1: Yeah, this, the ring and um, the patch which I'm about to talk about just seem like a lot more... And I'm down for, but <laughs> that's my own opinion. <laughs> so, the birth control patch or the transdermal contraceptive patch is a patch that's worn on specific parts of your body and it releases estrogen and progestin, like the other me- methods I've mentioned, and is placed on either the upper belly, not on the upper belly, is placed on the belly, <laughs> upper arm, <laughs> butt, or parts of the back. There's only one patch that's currently available in the US. It's called I think it's Zoolane or Shoe Lane. It's X U L A N E. So sure. not positive. Actually, but... I actually don't think
0: I've ever heard of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, the patch is really not that common just because people don't want it to be seen, but like I said, you can put it on your butt in places that aren't seen. So, mm-hmm. the patch is stuck on and lasts for seven days and then is replaced each week. Packs of patches come with three different patches in them. well, they're not different, but three separate ones um and you can skip the skip your period. It's easy, just like with the pillar nuva ring um It is important to make sure that if you're when you're applying it, you don't touch the sticky parts because that's where the hormones are and To make sure that you're putting new patches on to clean, dry skin without any oils or lotions on them. The patches, which I didn't really think much about, they can be worn in the shower, pool, hot tub, sauna, etc. Interesting. Yeah, figured they would probably fall off. I'm picturing
0: like a waterproof band-aid situation.
1: Yeah, they're kind of just like a square band-aid sticker. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But it is really important to make sure that if you use these patches, because they're replaced once a week, so it's not like they can get too, too damaged. But it's important to make sure that you check them daily so that they're not, like, falling off or damaged, I guess. Mm-hmm. The patch is about 91% effective with typical use and 997 effective with perfect use. And the final method that we're going to be talking about today is the birth control shot or Depo Provera. Oh, I'm interested to hear about this one.
0: Yeah, so I think there was... I feel like you don't hear about that one a lot either.
1: Yeah, I know a few people who have it and some of them love it. One of them had an intense fear of needles, so it wasn't the best option for her. Um... <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> There's so no. many other options. <laughs> I was like... Girl, you really (laughs) got to choose something else. (laughs) So she did eventually. Literally anything
0: else. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) No offense
0: if that person's listening.
1: (laughs) I don't know if she does, but if she does, love you. um, The shot is an injection that you get every three months to prevent pregnancy. It contains progestin, which we've talked about a thousand times now. So you know that it prevents ovulation, thickens the cervical mucus, and prevents pregnancy by not allowing sperm to reach an egg. Yay. Uh, (laughs) It is important to make sure that the shot is received every 12 to 13 weeks. And at latest, like latest, latest, is 15 weeks. So there's a little bit of wiggle room, but it's definitely really important to make sure it's like 12 to 13 weeks for for it to be the most effective the shot can either be given by a doctor or nurse at like doctor's office or a clinic or if you feel up to it you can get it and do it at home yourself or if you have a nurse friend or family member you can easily do it at home if they're willing to help you out (laughs) interesting yeah so the shot is 91 to 99.9 percent effective and this it's harder because like there's less human error it's just the fact that a lot of people won't go on time to get it done so very important to make sure that if you get the Depo-Provera shot that you are going to actually get it every 12 to 13 weeks otherwise it's not going to be as effective but it is also a really great option for a lot of people, especially those who can't use um, prevention methods that have estrogen in them. So we've talked about a few that don't have estrogen, but there are some people who can't handle estrogen or because of other issues can't have it. Or some people can't do hormones at all, so they have to do the copper at UD. But
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's so
0: good there's an option for people that can't have hormones at all.
1: Yeah, it's really nice that it's not just like, oh, well, I guess you have to use like just condoms and hope for the best or like (laughs) get your tubes tied because those are obviously like a lot more effort. But it's really awesome because there are a few people that I know of that can't have estrogen. So the birth control shot is a really great option for them. So that is actually all I have because I wanted to keep it nice and slightly short and concise to just different prevent birth control and prevention pregnancy prevention methods but obviously i will be coming back to sex ed at some point and if anybody has any questions Absolutely. or if you have any <laughs> have any other questions that you want me to answer please hit us up but i just wanted to say thank you for listening to t- me talk about this because it is something that I could go on for like hours and hours about and I'm really hope like really hope that everybody learned something and I hope that there's also people that don't ever need to take birth control that can listen to this and understand why it's a hard decision because there's so many freaking options and then also just like in general they affect each person differently so I think on average yeah women have, like, most women have tried multiple different options, and there's a lot of different videos and documentaries about some of the negative effects of different birth control options, which I didn't go into because that would have been a really long time and also pretty depressing and sad, but... Fund research for male contraceptives, please.
0: (laughs) I was just about to ask you if you knew anything about male birth control.
1: So... It has been heavily researched for, like, a bazillion years at this point, essentially. Because the common argument is why wear a bulletproof vest when you could unload the gun? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So there are a few different trials. There's a few trials that are only going on in India, and they haven't been able to get it authorized elsewhere yet. Um, a lot of the male birth control have similar side effects to female birth controls that include like mood swings and decreased libido and, you know, <laughs> mood disorder. It's just, there's just a lot of like acne, migraines. There's lots of different things that birth control and contraceptives can cause. And considering they're only available for people who have uteruses right now and not people who have penises, it's a little rude. <laughs> but. Yep. Too
0: bad men are fragile.
1: <laughs> yeah, they can't handle the that anymore. So, yeah. But thanks for listening. Well, thank you. I feel like I learned a lot. Yay.
0: I'm excited to tell you about my <laughs> fun topic next
1: week. Oh, yes.
0: Stay tuned next Monday and every Monday for new episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We're on Instagram at Monday MondayMorningsPod, on Twitter at Monday Mornings P, and we have a Facebook page.
1: If you have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, you can also email us at mondaymorningspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. Start your Monday mornings the right way with Maddie and Morgan. Duh.
0: Duh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.